Hey, this is Mike with episode 24 of Getting Everyone Moving, brought to you by Palms to Pines Parasports. And today we have a Paralympian, Josie Azoxen. <laughs> Hi, Josie. Hi. Hey. So it's, it's great to see you. I know you're in Tucson, but let's start off by you telling us, I mean, how did you get into playing adaptive sports? Yeah, so I was in a car accident when I was five. And so that was like my injury, spinal cord injury, like onset. But then I didn't actually start getting into sports until I was like 13 is when I found wheelchair basketball. And it was because I was at, I'm from Minnesota originally. And so I was um, attending some like different like day camp sports, day camp things for kids at a rehab facility, the Courage Center up there and then there was there there was like a practice going on like a varsity practice and the coach came and like found me somewhere in the it's actually Dan Price who's now the coach of Great Britain but um the national team but he like found me and he was like you look like you would be great for basketball and I was so timid and shy that I was like I don't know about that but he was like just trust me try it and I it's been the best thing ever since (laughs) That's great. So, you know, to get to, I mean, you're at an elite level, you know, you're an elite athlete. Talk about some of the people who provided support to you, you know, in getting there. I guess I would think your parents, I don't know, friends, other family members. Yeah. Um, so I'm definitely my parents because it's not, I would say like, it's a little bit different, right. To have like, um, a kid with like, a need to go find these like adaptive athletics because I'm like from a small town and there's not like, not every like elementary school, middle school, high school offers these things. So usually the parents have to like drive you not only like at least an hour to get to like a state center where you can all practice, but you also have to like drive and fly to these tournaments around the nation. And like, it actually became like a huge, like, blessing for my family to get to go on these trips and stuff because it was fun to do so but like you definitely have to be up for the challenge of like making that all happen with work and school and also just like financially like my parents could not have been better about like just making sure that I had like the best equipment to put me on like the top tier and like just being so willing to like drive me to the gym which like my local like fitness facility was probably like a half hour away from me so it was just a lot of support from them and then I definitely would say to my teammate um USA teammate Rose Hollerman we grew up in the same program um in Minnesota and she was always like she had started basketball at a younger age and was always like a very elite athlete and she like made the USA team when she was 15 so I always looked up to her like oh, there's a USA team. We can, we can do that if we get good enough. And so she always kind of pushed me to be better in that way. Yeah. I'm actually going to be interviewing her right after you today. Nice. That's so fitting. <laughs> yeah. Funny. Um, yeah. Did you ever feel as if, you know, I, there's something I can't do, or did you typically have a very positive attitude and said, you know, it doesn't matter. I am going to do. Yeah, so I think being injured at like such a young age, it was like five years old, right? I didn't remember like a ton of walking before that. So I wasn't like attached to the idea of like, I can't run around and walk, but it was definitely like 
hard, like a hard realization as I grew up to realize that there were things that other kids were doing in school and stuff that I just wouldn't be able to do. And I think I always kept like a really positive attitude and just stayed kind of like in my lane of like, well, this is what I can do. So I'm just going to do this. And I really like, I tried to focus on like being really good at what I could do. So I was very like academically driven. Eventually I found adaptive athletics and then I put a lot of my heart and soul into that. But like, I was really like studious because I was like, well, I'm good at that. Like I might not be able to like play soccer in gym class, but I can like be the best in English class. You know, stuff like that was super fun. Yeah. So you recently graduated then? Yeah, in December. Okay, so you went to University of Arizona. Um, you know, I've found the number of uh, collegiate adaptive athletic programs to be quite limited, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think, you know, there's a lot of room for growth. So how, how do you think we can get more collegiate uh, adaptive athletic programs? What, what needs to happen in the country in order to do that? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is really just like spreading more awareness of adaptive athletics, because I think that there are so many schools that have like, like all of these like universities in the nation or most, I think, have the same resources as any team that has started a program to like be able to provide like like the funding because there are so many grant opportunities to start these programs and you can pull from different like resources right like you can kind of base your team on we can pull in a lot of veteran athletes that are like wounded warriors or whatnot because there's tons of grant money for that or like I know that there are teams that are like really trying to like start programs on their own but it's more based on like maybe like a graduate student really like pushing for this research project of like let's try adaptive athletics but I feel like it kind of has to come from like I would like to see more awareness about like Paralympic sports brought to like the forefront because I think that's where people really sit down and listen when it comes from like the top authority of our sport sort of and I do still have so many people like when I'm traveling with my basketball wheelchair in airports they are like oh you play for the special olympics and I feel like there's just so much like miseducation still and it's not anyone's fault but it's like we have so much room to grow there yeah that that is kind of a common misnomer that you know for someone with a physical disability that uses a wheelchair for mobility oh it's special olympics and I, I mean, I get frustrated with that as well, but then, you know, it's an opportunity to educate people, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think like a lot of schools too, I mean, if there's anyone like with interest in different areas to like start these programs, like they have to know too, they can always like call upon like Title IX sort of stuff. Like, you know, there's all of these like windows of opportunity if it really if it's really a desire of yours to start a team and like I props to anyone that's willing to do that because I, I mean, I would like to even get into that, you know? Okay. Um, So you live in Tucson, uh, which is an area with incredible support. I I live there for a little bit more than a year. You know, there are a few communities throughout the U S you know, the, I guess the moving Mavs area, you know, University of Texas, Illinois, of course, Alabama, um, what does it mean to you to be in a community where there are, 
you know, just a full variety of uh, opportunities, you know, to play sport. Yeah, I mean, it's really invaluable because it feels like you're going somewhere where you have people that have your back automatically. Like I came to Tucson and really, I mean, there were people that I knew through already having, I used to compete with, um, I played for um, Texas, the UTA, I played for them. So I used to compete against like Arizona and I already knew like Pete Hughes, like I recognized him as the coach and like Jen Poise, Courtney Ryan, I had like played against them. And so there were people I kind of knew here, but like mostly strangers to me in Tucson. I mean, I never planned to move here. And you just like automatically feel this sense of like, they're gonna do everything in their power to like support me on this Paralympic journey. And like, you really can't find that in any place you move. I've definitely like moved to different parts of the States where like I felt more isolated from basketball. And it's definitely much easier to train when you have those people around you with like a common vision of like, let's promote adaptive athletics. And it just like, makes you feel supported in that journey of like pursuing that dream. Yeah. What, so let's talk a little bit about your um, kind of national experience. I mean, you've been on the team for a number of years. I mean, what are some of the more momentous things that, you know, you really treasure um, in your experience to date? Um. I would say like even experience like that prepared me outside of the national team or yeah. just okay so I mean I came from such a wonderful like one of the top um, juniors teams in the states and that really set me up for like everything I needed because it was like the Minnesota Timberwolves juniors program had like this dynasty reputation of just like championship after championship and like the level that we were pushed at such a young age, like, like literally like conditioning for hours. Like we would have maybe two practices a week that were like three to four hours long. And like, we were pushing for like four hours of that, you know, and it just made you recognize what kind of work ethic you need to like get to the college level. And then like, I, that set me up for like, uh, you know, like getting recruited by UTA and then like getting a scholarship to go play there. And then there I won, like I won a national championship my last year of junior ball. And then I was able to like win with the UTA girls, another national championship. And once you get those experiences under your belt, I feel like it just raises the bar of like what you expect of yourself and your teammates. And then by like by establishing that, I think that you can just like raise the level of the game, which is what we all want to do, you know, and yeah. set you up for USA ball. <laughs> yeah, which is amazing. So what are you most looking forward to, you know, in going to Tokyo, uh, you know, in a number of months? Um, I'm really looking forward to just seeing these like international teams again. Like we haven't been able to compete in so long and I mean, that's obviously, it's an interesting situation to be in because normally like each year we would have like friendly games and maybe different tournaments scheduled. So like to head off to like my first Paralympics, the biggest stage in the world to compete on and possibly have not seen any of these teams yet, like at least this past year will be incredibly strange, 
but I mean, that's what I'm looking forward to because it's the top level of competition. And like, I think that's what keeps all of us girls hungry is to like get back on that court and compete like we're used to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's gonna be so much fun. Yeah. Um, so, you know, sport, when, when I, I coach, you know, a variety of wheelchair basketball and other adaptive sports, and I always see sport as kind of, you know, it's a way to keep yourself physically, emotionally healthy, but it also teaches you uh, a number of life lessons. And what are some of those lessons that you're going to take with you and, you know, help you to help you in your career, in your life? Yeah, um, a few things that come to mind are definitely confidence. Confidence came first, I think. And it's been a journey, right? You don't like achieve that <laughs> that overnight. But um, I was such a shy little kid and like I hardly talked to anyone because there was a lot of insecurity about my disability and just feeling like out of place in my everyday life. And when I entered like the wheelchair basketball world and it's just evolved since then, I, I had to like embrace like this confidence in order to compete, right? You have to be a confident competitor and you have to believe in yourself. And so like basketball really transformed that part of like my worldview. And also like, I think as far as like things that will apply to my life path and career moving forward are like super centered in communication and leadership because like I never even thought that I would be like in a position to become a leader ever and like I was the captain for the U of A girls last year I'm now a veteran USA player and it's just like I've learned to like use my voice and embrace like like through that confidence journey I've like learned how to like pass that down onto other like younger athletes and share that because I think that's probably the most important thing that we're here to do is like empower others you know yeah, you know, I, I've heard that over and over from the various athletes um, that I've interviewed. And I, I think, you know, it's that passing it on, right, to the next generation to say, there's so much hope, you know, don't let the fact that you might use a wheelchair for mobility limit you at all. You yeah. can do whatever you want. So along those lines, what, what kind of career are you looking to have? Um, so a couple different, like, yeah. branches um yeah. I want to I've always wanted to be a writer and so I want to like publish some of my work because I have like a lot of stuff that I'd like to share about like that kind of goes with like the communication sort of mm -hmm. thing opening up for me is like there's a lot that I can share with people that like I've experienced that I think would be beneficial um to share but that obviously isn't like a full-time job so I'd like to focus on also working, um, working in the nonprofit world and eventually starting my own nonprofit um, to give back to the disabled community, probably ad adaptive athletics related. Um, but yeah, I'd like to use like the skills that I've learned to do that, but I'm not like honed in on one, one facet of nonprofit work, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and you're you're interested in film too? Is that yeah, right? I did study film um, at NYU. I so I had kind of an interesting college journey. I initially went to UTA to focus on like I was just like oh, I want to try basketball. This is so fun, and then I couldn't really find like my academic niche there. It was just like a little bit tough for me. And then I decided that I really liked film, and I transferred. 
to NYU and then studied screenwriting and just dramatic writing sort of. And then I really like that opened up writing for me where I was like, oh, I do love writing. And then I ended up in Arizona to finish my degree because I ended up breaking my leg out in New York because it wasn't very wheelchair friendly and it was just gonna extend my graduation plan out there longer than I wanted to like you know pay to stay there and whatnot so this ended up like Tucson ended up being the perfect landing spot for basketball and kind of artistic endeavors and nonprofit work it's a huge nonprofit world down here yeah yeah we have you know southern Arizona adaptive sports there Mia which is uh the RepEx so a lot to learn that's great you know, Rose has spoken about trying to start a nonprofit too. So maybe the two of you, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> do you, are, are you thinking of going to graduate school as well at some point? I've, yeah. Like I've considered it, but I think I'm at the point right now where like that, that whole like transfer journey, it, yeah. it ended up taking me like six years. And I was, you know, always someone, like I said, that was very like school oriented, but I think that took it out of me a little bit, the unexpected plot twist. So if I did do grad school, it'd be like in, in a little while, you know, yeah. not right away. Yeah, but it sounds like a good story to write. So I'll look forward to reading it. <laughs> oh, thanks, yeah. <laughs> um, so we, you know, we talked a little bit about awareness raising. Um, I'm always thinking about, you know, how do we create a more inclusive society? I mean, on a number of levels, you know, not just for people with, you know, different abilities, but also ethnicities. I mean, the whole thing, you know, it's a very relevant conversation now. How, what, what are some of the things that you try to do or that you would do to help create, you know, more inclusion in, in the United States? Yeah, that's actually funny you're bringing that up because I mean, obviously in 2020, that was really brought to the forefront as well. That issue of like um, not not having a space for diversity to the degree we'd like to. And that was something that Courtney Ryan and I were working a lot with the NWBA this summer on creating um, maybe a sub like a subcommittee within the NWBA to handle like to promote like inclusion and diversity because it's something that like the NWBA of course would love to see more diversity within its membership and there's so much room to grow. And especially like like our focus came more from like the women's side of things, but I we we came up with a lot of ideas that are gonna be more implemented once this COVID thing calms down. But um, like peer mentorship and just kind of like grant funding for um, girls of every background to try to get to USA camps, you know, and USA tryouts and have that experience and not have it depend dependent on like the ability that their family has to fund them getting there. And so like, these are opportunities that we would really, really love to like provide. And I, I know we will just like, once, once this, this pandemic is officially off. That's right. Okay, well, we're getting towards the end of our interview. What, what are some final words, you know, that you'd like to leave for people? Um, you know, just, just in general, uh, what do you really try to promote? What do you really try to say to people, you know, about who you are and, and how we can, uh, you know, develop more inclusion or, just you know to keep keep pushing yeah um I'm very like spiritually oriented in thinking about 
not just positivity, but like that we all have this light within us and like our souls are these lights, right? And I just think that like, it's really important for people to remember that like each of us has this light within us and is a light. And that like, if you really intend to like shine and share that light that you really can create change because like that, that energy that you share with the world, it's, it's real. And even if it seems intangible, like you'll notice these ripple effects from, from shining brighter. So just like focus on like remembering that you are that light because it's so easy to get down on ourselves and forget that we are that powerful. Uh, that's a beautiful way to end this. Just wonderful. Thanks. Josie, thanks so much. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Have a good one. You too.